Joining us for a very special episode, it's Adam Myros. Oh yeah, it's always special when I'm here. Yeah, it's it's pretty special, you know. We're uh, we're covering a an important topic. A lot of people are wondering about this. They're thinking about this. They're talking about it. Uh, they're talking about it more and more. We're, we're going to be talking about shapes today. And if there's one thing that I know about Adam Myros, and Jake knows about Adam Myros, and also Jack knows about Adam Myros, so it must be objectively true. It's that he won't stop wishing that Roman Polanski's new movie, The Palace, was a shape. He wishes a palace was a shape simply so he could watch the palace, talk about the palace, and talk about how much he loves and respects the various choices and lifestyle decisions of one Roman Polanski. Isn't that right? I I don't even know what the hell you're talking about. This is the most <laughs> shoehorned in thing I've ever fucking heard. <laughs> oh, what if this thing that's not a shape was a shape? I, okay. <laughs> Great, Steve. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to back you into being a bad person. I mean, I, I, I like many of the films of Roman Polanski. I, I will. Uh, I will admit to that on the internet. But uh, Colin, I don't pull know that soundbite. His, his personal choice. <laughs> I need that soundbite so I can put it on a soundboard and just mash the button repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jack, what do you think about the, uh, the the problematic loves of one Adam Myros? Well, you know, I mean, I think. As friends of Adam, all of us know you got to take the rough with the smooth. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's true. And uh, Jake, how about you? Adam Myros, he just he just loves the idea of a of an old man trying to date a thirteen year old. Well, you know, we all have our kinks. <laughs> I don't think he was dating a thirteen year old. I don't think that was the problem that emerged. Well, he wanted to, but it just didn't <laughs> didn't play out that way. Would uh, that have made it okay if he followed the proper dating rituals? <laughs> it would have been like, a different wait, kind of terrible, but, and, maybe, and maybe legal age. She's Jesus got chicken Christ. nuggets. He's they make a pot roast for everybody else. I don't fucking no. I don't. I don't know if that's. I right. don't know. Maybe if he had like a, a good four year courtship, he could have got away with it, at least in the eyes of the law. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, look, yeah. David Bowie like dated a thirteen year old for real, and it's like, yeah. you know, whatever. It's it was a different time. A we're we're relitigating our, our Bolero episode, apparently, right Yeah, now. Fact, I mean, they were all so full of lead, it's difficult for millenni millennials to even understand the problem, let alone Gen Z. So, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. get, you just gotta let it slide. Everyone's just huffing fumes by stepping outside their house, so probably yeah. in their house, too, with this asbestos was still left in there. So, frankly, you know, you, you, mm -hmm. you can't judge by today's standards, where we have beautiful, fresh forest fire smoke to inhale every single day. Oh, it's, yeah, it's totally different. Back then it was just like, ooh, asbestos and lead paint, let me chew on that. And then, you know, fucking Betty Davis would go to the dentist and just blast cigarettes in the dentist's chair. You know, it's a different time. Uh, now all we have is uh, the, the hottest summer on record, uh, forest fires everywhere, making it unsuitable to go outside. It's, it's a totally different thing. So, well, yeah, I'll tell sense. you. It's actually been nice over here on the West Coast. Uh, we survived our first hurricane about a week ago. Uh, that was pretty neat. But uh, the great news is all that moisture headed north, and it's now raising hell down on Burning Man. And I'm having a lot of fun just watching those problems develop as they occur. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Adam Myros's problematic views on, you know, uh, Roman Polanski aside, I think one thing we all can agree on is if everyone at Burning Man just, like, 
drown in a pile of dust and water and mud and sand that would be fucking cool right yeah yeah, yeah I, i'm uh, i can second that definitely yeah, if yeah. i could call in one surgical drone strike per year i would have one set target for it mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm yeah i'm not like a big like encouraging the rise of the machines type of guy but at the same time the idea of like all of the self-driving cars in san francisco rising up and just running over their creators that brings me a great deal of joy. We need like a mass Christine event where all these cars just fucking kill their masters. So Steve, uh, but... I, I have a question. Sure, yeah. Does any of this have anything to do with the movies we're discussing? Yeah, you know, it, it really does because... Uh, well, we, <laughs> oh, well, we I'm surprised about... by this answer. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it, it's interesting because that's exactly where I was about to land because the first movie we're going to talk about today is uh, we're going to talk about Cube because we are literally talking about shapes because... Uh, maybe someone on this podcast, we're not going to say who, we're not going to point fingers, we're not going to name names. Maybe someone did a bunch of edibles and then went into the Google Doc that we share with ideas for podcasts and just wrote Shapecast, <laughs> where we cover <laughs> movies named after shapes. Someone with the mind of a toddler, I don't know who this would be. Um, I, I, once again, am, am looking over the way of Adam Myros, but who's who's to say who really edited that document, you know? Uh, uh, no, I will not take any responsibility for these three fucking movies being watched. I, no, no, I refuse. Let, let's uh, say, let's say it was the work of a, a Mr. Cough. As you know, too <laughs> obvious. Let, let's say a Steve C. Uh, uh, there's a lot of those out there. There's a lot of Steve Cuffs out there, you know? There's, there's actually, there's one who lives in San Diego, and I frequently get his emails, so, uh, what else? Oh, I, I, I get emails... I get uh, email reminders for the cr- former Christian singer, who I think is now just an event organizer, Jack Eason. Uh, I always oh, get wow. notification whenever he goes in to get his back waxed. Um, That's fucking sick. <laughs> <laughs> not kidding. Get those emails every couple of weeks. I, I like how he's a former Christian singer and an event planner, because you gotta yeah. be fucking smooth when you're doing that shit. Yeah, exactly. No I don't stumble. know if he does the music anymore. I'm not sure if Jesus found a new path for him, but hey. No, it's... That's that was it. He got tired of combing his shoulders, I guess. I don't I don't know. See, I almost uh, assumed you had some sort of transition here where you were going to talk <laughs> about the, how Cube, it seems like something Elon Musk would create and, you know, et cetera, oh, et cetera. I, I was getting there. We got we got into back waxing somehow. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, here's the tie in. Yes, the, the Cube, I, I want these things to destroy their creators. It does seem like something Elon Musk would create and I would love it if Elon Musk got stuck in a cube, because he would be absolutely fucked. Uh, It actually wouldn't make for much of a movie, because I think he'd be dead within 10 minutes. But uh, in the movie Cube, one of the creators of the cube, the guy who creates the the outside structure around the titular cube, is actually put into the cube. So there you go. That's me tying it all back together. How you like them fucking apples, buddy? Yeah, that was, um, I would give it like a a 5 out of 10. Yeah, Maybe we got there. We got there. It's better eventually. than a zero. Uh, it was hurt by the digression, <laughs> I must say. No. <laughs> everyone only tunes in for the first 10 minutes. Anyways, uh, yeah, let's talk about Cube. Made in Canada in 1997. Here's what I didn't fucking know. I assumed that this was a major release film by like an actual studio in, in America. Because I feel like everyone saw this. It probably played on TV a lot. I think it was a, a 90s, late 90s video store classic uh, when you could still be that thing. And in my head, as a child, when I thought of Cube and when I probably saw Cube for the first time, I assumed that it was theatrically released. 
watching it now for the first time since I was a child, uh, it is very clear to me that it was not theatrically released. This movie cost, I don't know, quarter of a million Canadian, which is about $8 American. And it was created from a grant from the Canadian government for first time filmmakers. It was like a, uh, it was a contest, I think. And that is a great way to frame this movie because conceptually on paper, you know, your, your two minute pitch, your elevator pitch, what have you, this seems very interesting in a, in a pre saw world. Uh, this is a, it's a fun concept and it also, to its credit, does leave a little bit to the imagination. It's not looking for, for clean explanations for everything. Uh, so it's unfortunate that it looks like a sci-fi channel original movie, and uh, no one in the film is doing anything that I would say approaches acting. So uh, it's, it's a real treat and a bit of whiplash, because I was excited going into this, and I thought, fuck yeah, Cube, this is going to be awesome. That's not what I got. What happened? It's got powerful community theater vibes, certainly. Which, <laughs> yes, but frankly, I, you know, I kind of like it. I, I don't know. I quite, I quite enjoy Cube. I think it's because I think unlike a film we're going to discuss just a little bit later, I feel like Cube is kind mm -hmm. of like at its heart, it's a very stupid movie. It doesn't really, yeah. there's no real impressive explanation for anything that's happening. But I think that's offset by the fact that it is also just a very rough and ready, very apparently low budget project and everyone's just kind of being very serious and getting it done and I, I, I there's something endearing about this film to me and yeah I'm, I'm curious about how it came to be so popular because I feel like everyone saw this movie too like in Ireland I, I saw this probably on DVD I guess or maybe on TV first I don't know but like people talked about Cube and it is absolutely just an incredibly low budget Canadian tax break movie yeah, I th I think the uh, the com the total charm is in its simplicity. I mean, cube. That's all you need. And people, I heard buzzings when they were first seeing it, like, oh, there's these people stuck in a like a giant Rubik's cube, and they have to try to get out, and they navigate each room. And each room has a trap in it. So there's also this like proto, as Steve said, a proto saw element to it, where you know you're, you you want to see these people get through, but you also want to see some of them get killed, and everybody's just very angry and bitter and sarcastic with each other the whole time. So, but yeah, it's a, it's a, just a quick 90 minute movie. It's not really not much else to it. It's a, I, this is certainly the best of the three films we watched. I agree with Jack there, but yeah, that's a, that's cute. I think I'd somehow agree with that too. And I don't even like this film at all. Uh, <laughs> we really hit the jackpot with the shape. Cast. <laughs> I, I admire the utility of this film. I mean, it's a smartly made low budget film. Uh, yeah, you, you've got, you build one set, uh, you just uh, shine a different light in the background and suddenly it's infinite rooms. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's kind of like vaguely clever, but it was definitely made in the right time. I think the reason people saw this is because, about 90s you know it was just people were always looking for that next independent filmmaker and yeah if it came out now it would be just something that would go direct to streaming and no one would ever fucking see it and it would have no cultural impact whatsoever but uh, you know yeah, yeah. I, I would agree I, with that i think um yeah it, it, it's like i i think it's in a way it, it presages the future beautifully because when i was watching this i was like did they have escape rooms in the 90s 
And I, no. <laughs> I don't think they did. I don't think that was a thing. I feel like Cube got in ahead and invented escape rooms and we're just catching up with them now. The escape room boom was really everybody <laughs> getting back to Cube. It's a bunch of Cube fanatics. Yeah. They should have a yeah. Cube themed escape room. Like <laughs> <laughs> nostalgia and escape rooms. It would make a billion dollars. I should I should go out and do this now and quit my day job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a great idea. You should definitely pursue. Just pour all your money into recreating the <laughs> hey cube. It's a sure thing. Yeah, I, and it's great. Everyone will want to do it. They'll be like, "Okay, so what's what's the room that you're escaping from?" And you're like, "Well, it's uh, it's it's a cube, and it's red. And if you go to the next cube next to it, that one might be green or orange." Yeah, the, the main that's thing it. like is every group has to have one autistic guy who's really good at math. That's that's yeah. the only, you know, oh. if you don't have one, we'll provide you with one. But that's and, again, this is this is the joy of Cube is conceptually it's it's very simple and intriguing enough. And it's brilliant from a low budget standpoint, because as, as Byro said, you you build one set, really. <laughs> I mean, it's one cube attached to another cube and then you just you're just changing the color of the lighting and then you don't mm -hmm. need to do anything else it's so simple uh there's no costuming everyone's just wearing fucking jumpsuits there's nothing to it uh but it's also it's a movie with characters and dialogue i don't know written by a sentient pair of jenko jeans it's the most 90s ass <laughs> shit i have ever fucking heard in my entire life and if you run down the characters uh it's kind of wonderful there's like the the math whiz gal who has these glasses and is kind of mousy but there's a moment where like her glasses fall off and crack and you're like oh she's sexy now uh which is a great 90s move where you take the glasses off the nerd and then she becomes bonable there's a doctor who is i, I don't know what her trait is other than being excessively shrill She's like, like a conspiracy. conspiracy. Yeah, yeah conspiracy. she's into conspiracy okay. theories for yeah. some reason. I think psychologically she's just meant to bounce off the cop, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And the cop is great because, and to the movie's credit, the cop is your typical hothead, tough guy, dick cheese cop. And this movie is very anti him. He's the clear villain in the group. I mean, they, and, na they <laughs> nail the cop character because he is literally the guy who immediately asserts control and has no discernible skills whatsoever. I mean, the yeah. doctor technically could treat people who were injured. The cop literally has nothing to contribute. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the first thing he does is he assaults the cop, or excuse me, the doctor, when she enters right. the first cube. And there's a lot of thrown bodies in this movie, and he almost beats the shit out of her before yeah. realizing they're in the same situation. And he is, yeah. he is the standout piece of writing in this film i would say because he's he's set up as you know you're expecting him to be your protagonist he's the hero mm -hmm. cop, you know and it, it doesn't take too long before you're like well this guy's a real asshole am i supposed to be rooting yeah. for him and then it's like no no you're not he, he no, is the only one who hasn't like an arc yeah yeah, yeah. an arc in a cube which i don't know if ge <laughs> geometrically that's responsible and then, well, and then you've got your, your typical young 90s kind of edgy, like nihilistic guy. And he was the one who helped build the structure around the cube. And I, I don't even know where like his nihilism derives from other than like at one point, he's like, I don't even want to leave. There's nothing for me out there, man. Just people dying on the outside. I think, ah, I think he's supposed it. to be like an Oppenheimer stand in, you know, like, ah. you know, categorized <laughs> from that. Like he's basically, he know, he, he had a hand in inventing this insane contraption that someone in the film world logically commissioned and built 
yeah. you know, and he sees like one part of a small group. It's like the Manhattan Project. Like everyone's compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. No one knows who built the cube and who how it happened. And he's just given up. He's just he knows he was part of it, and he's gonna you die see, in there. I have a different theory. He strikes me as kind of like a maybe a divorced guy, mid thirties. He's stuck in a dead end, dumbass office drone job, and really has no drive to better himself. And had no idea he was ultimately contributing to the device that would be his own demise but yeah he's just kind of like ah you know why do i care i'm just i'm just going through the motions until i hit the end of my life and that's it yeah he's Mm -hmm. the disaffected gen x thing like the uh edward norton and fight club sort of thing yeah 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 so he's maybe a little bit oppenheimer and a little bit of like character from slacker who listens to soundgarden too much yeah uh, which again, very very 90s here. And then of course, uh there's a there's a fucking autistic guy. So that's that's you know, and then of course that's handled real well. <laughs> it's just real, real like nice. he just shakes and and makes like shrill noises and then uh does extremely complex math equations for gumdrops. Which that's got to make the sexy math lady feel kind of bad because th- I thought that was going to be her. Thing. He's he's the classic like '90s forward thinking. Like it, it's amazing because the '90s felt like when you and it's hard to explain this to younger people. Like the '90s felt like we were making big moves against like racism and systemic, you know, prejudice and so on. And really, all they were doing in the '90s was basically going like, see this group of people, they're kind of difficult to deal with, and they're awful. But if you handle them okay, because you're normal, right, you can you can get on with them. And that was actually what the 90s was about. And so, like, odd, like this is essentially, it's like, autistic people, yeah, I know, they're annoying, and they're stupid, and they're frustrating, but they're really good at math. So, try and focus on that when dealing with them. That was, like, the mm-hmm. whole 90s, like, how we deal with things. And then, and then later on, years later... You know, Gen Z came on. It's like, why is everyone so racist? And it's like, oh, it's because we we thought we dealt with it, but in fact, we actually didn't at all. Sorry. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe the uh, maybe the the other unifying theme for this week, other than shapes, is also autism. I mean, we got it in Triangle <laughs> uh, Sphere, directed by Barry Levinson, who did Rain Man. I... <laughs> <laughs> oh, the the major text on the topic. Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, I don't know these, but anyways, so we're, we're dealing with a bunch of just big, broad stereotypes. Well, you forgot the Wren, and, Steve. <laughs> oh, the fucking Wren. That, well, cause that guy, there's a couple of guys in here that are dead in two seconds. So the, oh yeah. The opening of the film is actually my favorite part. And I thought for a second, I'm like, maybe there's something here. Cause it's just this goofy looking guy and he crawls into one of the cube rooms and then he gets cubed up by like, I don't know, some metal wire and, and he turns into like late 90s CGI blood cubes. And you're like, fuck, yeah, that's cool. And then there's another guy named the Wren, who is a noteworthy prison escape artist. And uh, I don't know, he gets about 10 minutes. So before uh, before. Yeah, he teaches them some tricks for how to deal with it. But he's like. He's he's dealing with his own experience from prison. Also, it's worth noting all the characters. And I don't know if anyone else caught this. But all the characters are named after prisons. Oh, makes holy you, shit! Makes you think, right? Like you have one is Levin, and the other is Worth. That's Levin's Worth, and they they all have names that are like prisons. Mm. Um, which I I think probably goes into the fact that I I like I I'm pretty sure if the guy writing this, there was his genius concept is that this is basically like uh like no escape like the the sarge play 
but like jazzed up for 90s independent cinema and yeah. you know and hell is other people and all that stuff you know and kind of like you know in you know, like a purgatory situation um but of course it's also kind of dumb like too dumb to be taken seriously <laughs> as that which is you know again like i said i have a soft spot for this movie because it's just it for me it's pitched at exactly the right kind of kind of level of severity and seriousness and budget kind of aspirations uh, it it all just kind of hits us like it's dumb but i kind of enjoy it like if they spent if you spent you hollywood would make this and they spend 60 million dollars on it and they call it sphere or something and it would be awful and you'd be like oh god this is so stupid i can't believe they wasted all these resources but this employed a couple of nice people for a couple of weeks to hang mm -hmm. out and just and pretend to be other things can you imagine wild <laughs> and uh you know i just, just kind of love that yeah it's uh i don't know it, it's certainly it has its charms it has its charms but it's it's a lot rougher than i imagine and or that i remember i should say uh, but it's kind of wild to me because this movie in my head can only exist in 1997. Like it is a, just a perfect moment movie that just encapsulates the late nineties. And then there's like, there's like three fucking sequels to this thing, including which I, I haven't seen any of them, but I love that the second one is just called cube Two hypercube. <laughs> just a great fucking name. Yeah. Every so sequel should take that naming convention. It'd be better. It's such a shame no, none of them are called Cubular, which I yeah. thought of, like, from a 90s perspective, seemed like it would be a cash-in, you know, you could do a, they're, you know, on the extreme sports boon and everything, they, they could have incorporated these things together, but maybe, maybe who, you know, who is the Cube franchise done? It doesn't have to be. It no, come it, was, back. it was remade, like, three years ago. There's a, That's right. yeah, it was, it was remade uh, as a Japanese production in 2021. Which is really funny because, like, from like Japan remade this, and like, it's a kind of movie that honestly, if someone just described it to me, I would immediately think of like Japanese V cinema stuff. Like, this just sounds like a movie that mm -hmm. Japan would make. It's very into like systems and social archetypes, and you know, kind of things that are very pre prevalent and prominent in their domestic cinema genre. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird. They did. They they lost this one. They they won the uh, the auto race with America or North America, but they they lost the cube race to Canada of all things. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I, the, I, I, I'm going to claim it for Michigan now. The Vin, Vincenzo Natale, who I always assumed was part of like the uh, the sort of young wave of interesting foreign horror directors at the time. I I think Del Toro produced. Uh, some of his later work, and I, I was associated him with like, uh, yeah, that that wave of directors. And in, in fact, he's from Detroit. So <laughs> he's from Detroit, wow. but Letterbox say that he's a Canadian American director. So I, I don't know what his backdrop is. I'm just I'm just gonna give this one to Canada. I, I, I mean, it's it's close <laughs> enough. I, I feel yeah. like you get dual citizenship if you're if you're from Detroit because it's like you could fucking throw a rock at Windsor if you wanted to. Um, yeah, there's. Close enough. Close enough. But anyways, uh, enough about a movie that's kind of charming and, and maybe okay. Why not something a little worse? Uh, let me take you back. I'm going to put you in a time and a place. The year is 2009. You voted for Obama. And now you're on the RottenTomatoes.com forums. And people are talking about indie horror. And the latest Dimension Extreme joint that everyone is hyped up about. It stars 
a, a guy who maybe will be in a Marvel movie at some point. It's directed by Christopher Smith, who, what the fuck does that matter to you? And it's called Triangle. It's on a boat. Is it about the Bermuda Triangle? No, it's just, it's just called Triangle. <clears throat> I feel like this Christopher Smith did matter triangle. For, for a hot minute in 2009. Christopher Smith was like, he was, he was up there with Ty West, like, oh, this guy. I don't know why. None of his oh, yeah. movies are very he good. Made, he made Creep and Severance, which yes. are movies that we probably rented from Blockbuster Video. Yeah, I think I've I, seen all of his <laughs> films through 2010's Black Death, and then it promptly mm-hmm. stopped. <laughs> None of it's them a, are such great. a wild time capsule, even just say he was up there with Ty West. Like, even that, it's just like, God, yeah, I remember that time. It, it's the boy, time we're before, not in it now. It's the time before A24, where, like, yeah. in the art horror was a different sort of thing. <laughs> Yep. And the Ty West thing is funny because Ty West is obviously like House of the Devil is like a fucking masterpiece. And then you just keep waiting for him to do something on that level. And he never does anything on that level. But every time he comes out with a new movie, you're still waiting for him to do it again. Like he's the only guy I know that gets to keep making movies. You're like, this is going to be the one. And it's never the one. (laughs) God, no, no. I'm scared to go back and watch House of the Devil because I'm like, could it be as good as I remember? Because God, Pearl was absolute piece of shit x was <laughs> awful like christ uh, i don't know but hey yeah. i mean I, i've enjoyed his stuff intermittently but i've never been like blown away by anything he's done since you know uh house of the devil just diminishing returns but yeah but anyways yeah. fucking triangle it's it's <laughs> Sorry, a great Jim, movie uh yeah it, this is again kind of like a puzzle movie a little bit like cube you know it's like why what's happening can we explain what's happening and it's one of those movies that for me is like Right from the get-go, I didn't, I didn't like this movie. Right from the, like, when it falls into its main theme, which is basically a, a group of kind of, like, loosely knit friends, or not, like, most of them aren't really that close to each other, you know, we're kind of, like, a few are, like, three know each other pretty well. Three, I think, is entirely coincidental in that three of them are, are good, fast friends, and the other three are, like, kind of half know each other, and they all go out in a boat for a nice day, and they get capsized in a weird storm, and they get picked up by an ocean liner that just drifts past and they go onto the ocean liner they think they're saved but in fact the ocean liner is is empty and then someone starts murdering them and then it's only there's a time loop quota to it and and one one character played by home and away's melissa george uh, or dark city's <laughs> melissa george directed by alex gods of egypt Proyas, new patron saint of, of optimism <laughs> vaccine uh she she starts realizing that there's, there's a time loop happening and she starts trying to change the events to try and stop it from happening over and over again and there's like a pattern of threes and it's one of those movies that you're just watching it and you're just going when they reveal what this is about and you know they're going to they're going to have some explanation for why all of this is happening when they reveal it it is going to just destroy anything good in this movie and there's nothing <laughs> particularly good in the movie to begin with but you just know when they explain it it's just going to suck so much ass and dear listener I'm sorry to spoil it. If you if you don't want triangle spoilers, cut it off right now. But I'm telling you, guess what? It's purgatory, effectively. Uh, yeah, it's it's basically like uh, uh, she she dies and it's a rinse and repeat thing, and she's just trapped forever in it. And I and it honestly it makes me wonder: is there like a sign in Hollywood that just says it's been like 60 days since we remade uh, Carnival of Souls, uh, and and like someone and like. Hollywood executives are like, shit, it's been 60 days since we remade Carnival of Souls. We better greenlight someone to reset that counter. And another shitty movie like this just pops out of nowhere. 
I, I don't know. Well, this is this. You bring up a good point because this is another similarity for these movies, which is uh, Cube and Triangle both kind of play on the idea of being stuck in purgatory. And uh, Sphere makes you feel like you're in purgatory. <laughs> so, yeah. Remarkable. It's great. Uh, Jake, I, I need your help on this one. I actually, yeah. I, I didn't mind this entirely. Like, I thought it was, it was okay for most of it. Uh, mostly because I didn't remember shit about it, even though I had seen it years ago when it came out. Um, yeah, same for but me. You, you're kind of, you're kind of waiting. Like the the hook is you're trying to see how the pieces fit together, and then the surprise at the end is like, well, this isn't satisfying. Um, it's like you know, you're you're putting together the ingredients to bake a cake, but the cake is just, uh, it's it's broken glass, and it gives you diarrhea. Um, but I I think I think this is this is just like Dark Souls, right? Like like. Christopher Smith invented Dark Souls. You just like people keep dying and then you come back. And then the whole thing is she's trying to get off of this boat and she finally kills all the enemies is able to get off the boat. And then uh, the big reveal at the end is she has started New Game Plus. Is that right? Where she then she has to get back onto the original sailing ship in order to get back onto the original boat that she was on. Is that how this works? Yeah, you know, um, you're gonna hate me. I'm I'm not familiar with Dark Souls or New Game Plus at all. Um, the <laughs> the the film that was in my mind because this was also of that same horror movie era was a Spanish film called Time Crimes, which is another effectively a time loop movie. It's a much better. This is movie. one where it is. Yeah, that one's genuinely good. Um, but yeah, it's a, a protagonist is thrown into a bizarre situation. They don't know what's going on or why. There's a lot of ex inexplicable things. Uh, then they get looped back into the start of the situation and then they realize oh all that strange stuff was their own doing and basically yeah it's purgatory sums it up and you couldn't you couldn't you, there's not much more to say about this movie it's just yeah a woman goes on a ship she repeats a cycle of events where her friends get killed there is a mysterious gunman spoiler alert in the next loop we find out oh she's the gunman and she's trying to get back home she's a piece of shit mother to her autistic child she uh, tries to murder the bad self and take over as the good self, but, un you know, inadvertently gets her own kid killed. So she reenters the time loop to try to fix it. But yeah, it's just a it's a it's a weird, unsatisfying payoff. It's just kind of, and it's also really cruel. We're just going to punish this woman over and over again because she maybe was not that good of a mother. But yeah, I, I, I think the first half of this movie is strong because you're you're you know, you're intrigued by what's going on in every like all the bizarre stuff, like the clocks not lining up with the time and the food going bad. But then, yeah, once it just it just kind of deflates by the end of it. Yeah, I think yeah. the most generous thematic reading is like, I mean, it's it's purgatory in the grand scale, but it's this idea, I suppose, of of the the dangers, you know, the, the kind of loop of like self betterment that we, you know, we go with good intentions and we you, but ultimately, our our true nature ruins it every time, and that's kind of what happens to this the main character. She she suffers, and she thinks she learns from the suffering, but in fact, she actually is learning nothing. And her her true character effectively is is going to shine through, and ultimately, there's no escape from it. She she's trapped in in the loop of of what is actually her her real choices that she's going to make. If that's profound to you, I mean, it's kind of uh, not really much of anything to me, frankly. I think something like uh, a movie like Upstream Color is a much better movie on similar topics, even if it's directed by a terrible person. At least he made really good movies. So, um, mm. yeah, there's like, just, just like, like yeah, 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 exactly. Another we're guy, right, we're right back, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, Adam Myers is always first in line to rent the next Polanski movie. 
Well, so I know Shane Carruth. I fucking hate Shane Carruth. Uh, as an artist and a human. Well, that's... Just as an artist, though, right? <laughs> yes. You know, I, I make no personal judgments, but his art is... <laughs> but what, what I will say, what I started thinking about in the middle of this movie is... Because, firstly, it feels like... It, it's strange, because, Steve, you mentioned you watched this movie and you couldn't remember anything from it when you watched it again. And Jake, I think you said the same. It's like, I'd seen this movie before and I didn't remember any of it. I'd never seen it before and I've already forgotten it from last week when I watched it, pretty much. It's just one of those movies that just instantly vacates your memory, because there's nothing at all to latch onto. It's the most generic kind of textures and shapes... Uh, fundamentally of, of cinema but it did make me wonder it's like what what was the first movie like this because i feel like there's there's dozens of movies like this but i can never remember any of them because they're so forgettable as a movie um but again i was thinking back and it's, i feel like like dreyer's vampire from like 1932 seems like was that the first one of these movies like i think carnival of souls is the american touchstone version but that's also firstly it's a masterpiece it's an incredible movie it's also much more than just a purgatorial kind of puzzle trap it's it's got a lot of different shading in it the triangle does not have uh character work little curios and things um but yeah i, I was just kind of wondering like can anyone think of a, a movie like this from before 1932 and dreyer as vampire i remember it's a really memorable interesting film and it, was that just because it was the first one to do this or is, is it because dreyer is actually a really good filmmaker and uh, christopher smith might not be I don't know. Maybe they were still making them every six months. It's just that uh, they were all destroyed by old Hollywood, uh, not preserving any cinema. So, uh, Dre gets the credit, but I, I hate this movie. <laughs> I mean, I, I would have said it was okay if you would have asked me like two weeks ago, because I, I also saw it when it was a new release and it didn't make a huge impact, but I was like, oh, that was kind of clever. Uh, and now, you know, having seen so many movies that are doing the same shit, boy, I had no patience from the get-go. I was immediately like, I, I said in the chat, like, video games also came to mind for me, but it, it's, it's more just like the sort of video game that has, uh, taken over the, the horror genre since, uh, PT, where it's just like one of those layers of fear games or something where you're just walking, watching someone walk through a hallway, like. Ooh, are they, when are they going to remember their past? And it, it's just like, <laughs> who fucking cares? Like, I just, I, it's just a dull movie. And I, did, I don't think that it, the time loop particularly works. It's that well-conceived. The setting doesn't work. Like, I don't even know what the fuck this boat is. It seems to be like a oil tanker or something. But for some reason, we got to like pretend it's the shining. So there's like a magic banquet room or something. I'm like... I don't know what the fuck is even going on at any point in this, and it's just I think, I think the ferry, well, the boat element, I think is to play into a purgatorial thing that I think is like the ferryman. Well, sure, you know, yeah, it's doing its travel, yeah, like, right? It's a I, I, I think that's literally it. I don't know. Other than that, it's like boats are scary because of, you know, the implication. It's always sunny, whatever, yeah. well, you know. It's both, like a bunch are, of people. Both are boat. very fucking scary, man. Maritime yeah. law. It, it you does its Sisyphus thing, too. It's like, oh, yeah, we're, we're talking about Sisyphus because this oh, is God, a, that's a great movie. scene. <laughs> There's a great scene where, where the, yeah, the ship is called like Aeolus and, and some. The guys are like, oh, it's like a Greek god, do I remember? And then one character goes in and just gives a very, very succinct explanation of Greek mythological characters and then just says, I studied that once and wanders. It's 
clever writing, just great stuff all it around. Just, and and then, and then they go shut like, it off right at that moment. <laughs> yeah, and then they go to room two thirty seven because guys, Chris Smith's seen The Shining. I don't know if you guys caught that. <laughs> Well, uh, the, I mean, the obvious explanation, if there is one, is that uh, at the end of the film, we see that everything on land has been taking place in Florida. And what's off the coast of Florida? The Bermuda Triangle. That's where it all happens. Ellie and I, Gonzalez. I guess if, yeah. <laughs> True, very clever. Except that they filmed it all in Australia, which is, uh, and it's somewhat apparent that they did. But <laughs> so be it. What, what are you going to do? Make a yeah. better movie? I mean, Not yeah. an option. But yeah, no, it doesn't like because yeah, the uh, yeah the rules like comparing it back to time crimes like that film has a set of rules that the protagonist follows. This is just kind is it's very I don't know it's it it's just not very well thought out. Like it's not, like I feel like they worked their way backwards from like the reveal. Mm. Like they that was the last thing. Oh, we got this now. How do we get there? And uh, well, just uh, stuff on a boat. That's. That's yeah. really it. Yeah. It's a weird assembly. Yeah, because there's also seabirds, which are, of course, an omen of bad luck in, in maritime lore. And she, like, you know, mm. kills a seagull towards the end. And there's one apparent. And it turns out that the seagull we see at the start, we also end the film with them. And it's like, oh, that's this guy heard about that from somewhere. It's very, that's kind of the energy of this whole movie. It's pretty much just like things the director kind of heard about once upon a time. And he just kind of stuck it all together. And here's the movie Triangle. Yeah, I think, and none of it's coherent or cogent or insightful in the slightest. No, no, I I think that for me the key to this sort of film is to be more of a time crimes where you you could go back and watch that movie, really picking at it, and it's drum tight. You know, the the whole structure of the script is to make this time loop work. It's just like we're making this puzzle box, and it's gonna be it's gonna be tight. You know, it's gonna be precise, and it, 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 when you Instead, say, ah, that doesn't matter so much. It's just loose, and uh, we're going to focus on themes. And when your themes in, in this sort of dreck, the person who's making a time loop movie's idea of themes are generally like, oh, what if you died and you went to hell? And it's like, that's not a theme. What are we talking about? Like, like what is the theme of this movie? Like, don't be bad to your autistic child or else God <laughs> will punish you. <laughs> it's like, focus on, you want to make a puzzle box film? Focus on the puzzle box. And if you make something that is like really intricate and really successful and tight, that's a movie people are going to remember. <laughs> yeah. I, I have, I have two moments in this movie that I really enjoyed. Uh, one is when one of the characters is being chased uh, because I, I don't know why or at what point, I guess it's because it resets the loop, but she figures out that she has to like kill all of the people that she's with on this boat. Uh, but one of the ladies is running and she just runs into a big old pile of herself. Like there's just like 50 of herself just, just dead everywhere. And that was fun. And then there's another part where the protagonist is chasing herself, trying to kill herself with a big gun and she runs out of bullets, so she just throws the gun at herself, and it's really fucking funny. She does this um, after being the person who survived that and should know that it doesn't work right. and it won't work, yeah, that's which what, is also kind of That's what doesn't funny, work but, about any of this, right? She's already been, like, when she's putting on the sack head and the jumpsuit, she already knows how that fight plays out, so why wouldn't she be approaching it differently in this version of the loop? 
And how does she yeah. arrive at the conclusion that she needs to kill everyone? You would think that would involve some sort of experimentation. Maybe she touches a version of her past self and everything goes haywire or something. No, none of that occurs at all. It's just like, I guess I need to kill everyone. It's like, okay. Yeah. Well, that's because she accidentally sticks Liam's hen Hemsworth's head through a fucking hook. <laughs> and he gets like lobotomized. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It's... uh. It's messy. Like I said, I, I didn't, I don't think I hated it as much as, uh, you, Myros or, or you, Jack, just because I, I was kind of waiting for it to come together and then it didn't. Um, and it was just, it just kind of like washed over me, but, uh, no, not, not great. Not the movie I remembered seeing in, in 2009, but it was, it was a different time. Yeah. Different time. Yeah, I, I would hey. say the scene where, where she discovers uh, all the dead bodies of herself, that actually is, that's a successfully shocking image if yeah. it were in a real movie that had ideas. So, well, shame they wasted yeah. it there. Yeah, there are a couple of those. When it focuses on that idea, same with the, the seabirds thing, I'm like, okay, yeah, when, the, when you're doing this sort of like creeping realization that you're still in this loop, it's like, well, interesting. Too bad about the rest of this fucking movie. <laughs> yeah yeah uh well uh, i part of my enjoyment of triangle or at least not complete all in out hatred probably derived from the fact that the first movie i watched for this podcast was uh, a little joint called sphere so let me let me paint a picture for you okay so your director is acclaimed director barry levinston right uh not my favorite guy, but he's he's done some things. He's not a schlub. The script is based on an acclaimed novel by Michael Crichton. Okay? Your stars. You've got Dustin Hoffman. You've got Sharon Stone. You've got Samuel L. Jackson. Okay? Lee Schreiber. Peter uh, Coyote. <laughs> motherfucking Queen Latifah. Early-ass Queen Latifah role. You, you gotta love it. Uh, it it's... You know, the, all these pieces together, how how bad could it possibly be? And the answer, dear listener, is far fucking worse than you could ever imagine. Uh, I, I, I don't even know where to begin with this one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky. Um, yeah, and again, it's like if you, if you look at beyond even the source material, this Michael Crichton book, if you look at what they're obviously going for, it's like, oh, a more populous and accessible hollywood blockbuster version of solaris or i don't know the abyss a little bit of the thing going on here a 2001 somehow, for sure is in there <laughs> oh 2001 for sure yeah. so you've got all these obvious wonderful touch points and you've got talented people involved and somehow this is the most boring dumb dumb brained pile of fucking shit imaginable <laughs> And and it's so forgettable, it's so fucking forgettable that the only joy that I derive from it is the very final scene where the way that they sort of conclude the movie and, and you know, wrap up this horrific problem they have unearthed, they go, I will just kind of forget about it. Just forget about this whole thing, which is exactly what you do. It's like it manifested for you. You actually forget about the movie when it ends. The, the actual oh, final scene is where the sphere shoots into outer space. <laughs> into space. Because <laughs> like, it's got to go spearing through space, man. Uh, yeah, uh, no, yeah. it's this is a, a perplexing film. And I, I agree. This this not like to me, this is a a terrible film. Like actually 
the, like, this isn't just, like, triangles kind of bad, you know, whatever, you know, it's not great. Like, Sphere, to me, is, is this is really dismal filmmaking. And it's strange, because, I mean, Elevenson, etc., everyone, like, there, there's a lot of experience and talent and, you know, like, just general expertise available here. But the film that emerges, it just, it doesn't seem like anyone... And I guess studio interference might be the only explanation I can think of to, to explain this film, and, and I don't know if that's what happened, but um, it's just a movie that doesn't seem to understand, like, it seems like no one knows why they're making this film. No one knows what the focus should be. So it's this weird movie that's like, uh, and Adam, you've mentioned this as well, um, it's like, it's like a movie that, has to pivot on character it has to be about these scientists who go down to ex explore the sphere it has to be about you know the intricacies of their own self-perception and their camaraderie and their competitiveness and so on it has to be about that but then it's not they're they're completely just like stock characters built out of, like they just trade like wisdom like wisdom of the day calendar quotes at each other you know, they're like, literally, it's just like, just it comes like, you know, Sophocles once said, you know, and they just trade quips like that. And it's like, I went to MIT. And that's like, that's how we know they're super smart. Um, and, and the film just like, then has this pacing, like it's like a breakneck, you know, a big budget action sci-fi film. Um, and it's just, it is a complete disconnect. It is, it is neither feast nor foul or whatever, beast nor foul. It's, it's none of the things and it runs on interminably. And it's just incredible that so much money and expertise was behind this film that there's literally, I like, nothing in this movie mm -hmm. I could even focus in on. Like, I don't think even, like, Sharon Stone or Dustin Hoffman or Samuel L. Jackson, like, they're not even doing good performances. There's nothing for them to work with. The special effects kind of look shit. The storyline, I mean, it's literally, it's about a bunch of people deep underwater, isolated, with this sphere that can manifest their wildest fantasies, which translates in dozens of copies of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the book appearing in, in a cupboard. <laughs> like, that's the high point. That's like, that's a, a major moment in this film. It's yeah. baffling. I, I like how these are, these are allegedly some of the smartest people in the world that have all been brought together to figure out what this sphere is all about. And then when the sphere causes their subconscious to be manifested into reality, they all like have the dumbest shit in their fucking brains. It's great, <laughs> honestly. Jake, what I want to know is, as you know, you are a man with a uh, with a small child, and yeah. your time is limited. What was it like <laughs> wasting over two hours of your life on Sphere? Well, to be honest, um, my child, he, uh, Dalton, he has a real thing for uh, contact naps. Like, uh, he'll fall asleep, but he'll like to lay on your chest. And I thought, oh, perfect. So I'll pull out the laptop and uh, watch this while he was asleep on me. So luckily, we got to enjoy this movie together, even if he, not, he was not completely conscious for the duration of it. Did, were you completely conscious for the duration? Because <laughs> I struggled. I, I, I was, and boy, let me, it was, but it was tough. I, I, fucking hated this movie is this absolutely i can't the like the, one of the rare absolute dregs we've watched where i cannot pick out a single thing i like about it it is the worst of the worst as far as like big budget oh i'm so smart and clever blockbusters of the 90s goes this is this is the nadir for me and 
yeah every everyone i wanted to punch everybody in this movie in the fucking face or (laughs) because they're all like everyone's trying to throw like quips at each other the whole time it's just it turns into quip city down when they're and everything is also like just written to be a quip back to another one like when they're venturing Mm -hmm. down to the bottom of the ocean the the hull of the little sub they're in starts to creak and uh peter coyote says uh, I wrote it down. He says, don't worry, that's just the exterior pressure attacking the integrity of the sub. And Sharon Stone says, isn't that something you're familiar with? Attacking somebody's integrity? And oh. I'm like, oh, God, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, that's, that's, this is the character out. work in this film, by the way, is what Jake just describes. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> and, it. And where, where, do, where does all this derive from? I'm going to fucking tell you. Now, I'm not the kind of person who says, you know, oh, this, this wonderful masterpiece of literature, Michael Crichton's Spear, you should stick to the book completely. But I am interested in the ways that the movie differs from the book and some of the, the screenwriting decisions. And I think, you know, you guys are like, was, was this studio meddling or what was going on here? I'm going to go ahead and say that the entire reason this is a huge pile of shit, we can point our finger at exactly one man. Uh, <laughs> you may know, know him <laughs> from uh, such classics as Point Break. No, not the good one, the 2015 one. Or Total Recall. No, not the good one, the 2012 one. Or perhaps <laughs> Equilibrium. Equilibrium, excuse me. The dumbest fucking movie in the world. He is the god king of doofus cinema, Kurt fucking wimmer is the writer of spear and goddamn does it show because there's all kinds of weird shit in here where it is baffling so one of the things that is drastically different in the movie than in the in the book sharon stone's character in the book is um she's she's like a almost like a bodybuilder like she's fucking jacked and she's fiercely independent, and a lot of the issues that arise once they're down, trapped underwater, it kind of derive from that. Now in this, her whole thing is, she's smart, but you know, bitches be crazy. And why is she crazy? It's because Dustin Hoffman is a psychologist, not a psychiatrist. He didn't get his PhD, he didn't get his doctorate degree, he's just a psychologist. And he was, Sharon Stone used to be his patient, and then oopsie fucked her, even though he's like 900 years older than her, which is just disgusting. And that's the whole thing. She's all fucked up because she banged Dustin Hoffman. And that is, like, her entire character is rooted in the fact that she banged Dustin Hoffman. That's hugely relatable, because for a long, long time, everyone was sharing online a couple of years ago that video of Dustin Hoffman crying while he discussed Tootsie and his research for that role, and how he realized how much women suffer, and Mm -hmm. how much dressing as a woman himself put him in that role, and he realized uh, the the suffering of women. And then, like, a a little bit later, after those videos seemed to be circulating every day with, like, so moving, so true, bestie, and so on captions, and then it turned out that Dustin Hoffman, which wasn't even honestly news at the time, but like, yeah, Dustin Hoffman was like just a shithead and like mm-hmm. hates women. It's really mean to a lot of them on the sets of his movies, etc. So frankly, yeah. yes, fear really doubles back on that. It's it's a well, beautiful reminder. So there's there's your bad character work, and then despite the fact that this is like a gazillion dollar movie with an all star cast that was supposed to be a major blockbuster. Where do they kind of cut corners compared to the book? And the answer is Giant Squid Monster, which is kind of the major antagonist of these people in the book. Like the Squid Monster is manifested and it fucks with them. 
and everything is tied to the squid monster. Now, in this gazillion dollar movie, do we ever see a squid monster one fucking time? Zero squid. No. Yeah. We see a we sonar see, image. Yeah. We, see a sonar image. Whatever the fuck we see eggs. <laughs> we see squid eggs. We see fucking yeah, that, jellyfish. <laughs> that actually that actually made me mad because when they start talking to like the, the subconsciousness of the entity doing this, they call it Jerry, uh, which just turns out to be uh, Samuel L. Jackson's brain on the computer. At one point, after like this chaotic action scene, which is all edited to shit and they lose half the crew, the computer asks, did you like the giant squid? And I said, wait, what? And I actually rewound and scrubbed through the scene to see if I missed something potentially cool in this movie. No, it's not in there. No, didn't like it. Sorry, Jerry. Uh, yeah, and, well, and this all comes from Samuel Jackson's character. And I love Samuel Jackson, but I don't know what the fuck he's doing here. And I don't think it's his fault because I don't think he has much to work with. But his entire character is fucking just batty as shit. So uh, part of the movie is like this, this slow reveal of who has actually entered the sphere and gained the ability to manifest their subconscious and who has not. And then, and then you, you know, everyone's kind of guarded the movie, about Steve. it. That would be uh, maybe some intrigue it, in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's sort it's sort of implied, it's supposed, but it, it doesn't really develop in any way. It's now, kind of mentioned know. as an incidental later on. Like, oh yeah, you were in the sphere. Oh yeah, shit, yeah. I guess I was. This is the very last minute. They're like, all three of us have been in the sphere. It's like, what the fuck are we <laughs> doing? So why is it that they've all been in the sphere, but after Samuel L. Jackson's character goes in the sphere, he acts like a fucking weirdo the entire time. He's just like, oh, come back. Oh, I just can't stop eating. I got to eat more food. I'm going to take a nap for nine hours and sleep through a squid attack and all this shit. Everybody went in the fucking sphere. Nobody else is acting like a goofball. It's just Samuel L. Jackson. Also, outside of the fact that he's acting like a goofball, he uh, it, it is mentioned at some point, and this is in the in the book, too, is like he has a, a fear of giant squids, of sea monsters that is derived from 20,000 leagues under the sea or whatever. But in the movie, this goes so far as to when he comes back from the sphere and he just can't stop stuffing his fucking pie hole. Uh, all of a sudden, Dustin Hoffman feeds him some calamari, some fried calamari <laughs> that they have on the boat. Of course, they got fried calamari. This and is... then he says it like he's at a fucking like New York Italian restaurant. He's like, calamari. And he gives it to him. And then Samuel L. Jackson has the strangest reaction <laughs> that I have ever seen. It's like he doesn't know what he's like. Oh, these onion rings? None, none, none. Then he's like, no, it's calamari. And then he's like, ah! Like he's choking. No one has ever reacted. To... Can you imagine... Myros, first of all, if you were like, Steve, I do not like calamari, and I gave you some, like, I know you don't like fucking onion, okay? Right, true. So if I gave you something, one, you would instantly know it was onion. You'd be like, fucking gross. Yeah, yeah. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't, like, pretend to choke. You'd just be like, ugh. And then you'd swallow, like, a non-baby human, and then you probably wouldn't eat the rest of it. Or, but Samuel or if Jackson it tasted good, I, I probably meltdown. just would eat the rest of it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, it's... It's deranged it, and, and, and no one else is behaving, even though they've all been subjected to the same thing. And none of these behaviors that Samuel Jackson is exhibiting, like none of them are in his character from the beginning. He seems very like rational. And he seems like the guy who's like, everything we're doing here is fucking stupid. and We shouldn't be here. Yeah, he's Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park. And then he just turns yeah. into a sleepy time boy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but, it's fucking weird. 
I have I have a lot more questions with how Samuel Jackson's character <laughs> is treated when they when they do that like big when he does that big oh I'm eating squid reveal so I started maybe ha- having theories about where the movie was going and I thought oh maybe the squid or the excuse me the sphere killed the original Jackson and replaced him with like a squid entity that looks like him and I thought oh that could be a neat twist maybe he's an octopus man or something and he didn't want to eat his own brethren. Um, but when, yeah, after the, uh, everything goes crazy and he's just calmly reading a book and Dustin Hoffman's like very suspicious of him, Samuel Jackson just says, oh, I think Sharon Stone is bad. And then Dustin Hoffman immediately believes him and then he turns his suspicions on her and then she's like spending the rest of the movie trying to prove her own innocence just yeah. because Samuel Jackson's like, oh no, she's the bad one. Like uh, th- there's like, it's so well, poorly just thought out. Jake, she is a woman who slept That's, with yeah. Dustin Hoffman, so it is Guys, just yeah. What, what's what's fascinating? And she to was me. once suicidal, so yeah. That's she's not yeah, all together. Just, we have to. Is, yeah. This is classic Kurt Wimmer characterization. <laughs> what's what's wild to me is I've realized is that you could fix Sphere, and we could fix Sphere now. We could do a fan edit, and with easily available tools on your personal computer we can make sphere work again and make it a really Mm -hmm. fun movie because there's a scene early on where they go down in a submarine and they do a part where they start remixing the air down there because it needs to be reformulated for high pressure environments and they put helium in the air and everyone starts talking in their little muppet voice because they're inhaling helium and they have a little bit of a laugh about it. it's like oh we all sound so funny with our squeaky voices and then they're like Someone just says, put on the voice regulators and they put on voice regulators. And then for the rest of the movie, they just talk normally. What I propose is using pitch shifting technology available in almost Mm. any editing software imaginable. What if we removed the line about putting on the voice (laughs) regulators and we just left them on helium voice for the rest of the movie? Would that not be a better film? film. You know what? I think you're onto yeah. something, and and let me take this one step further, uh, because <laughs> as I mentioned, Sphere is over two hours long, and it sucks big fucking dicks, so it's kind of not a fun watch. So what if, instead of just pitch shifting the, the voices, what if we run both the audio and the video at like a 1.5 speed, so everyone talks <laughs> like a chipmunk, but also the movie goes way faster, and then all of a sudden, it's like a tight 80 minutes. How do you feel about that? Yeah, when, no, I think that would be pretty sweet. <laughs> when they have the helium voice on and Samuel Jackson says, follow the yellow brick road, I wanted to throw my laptop across the room. Because that's it. <laughs> and that because I looked and that was like 15 minutes into a two hour and 15 minute movie. Oh, God, and I'm like, time oh. is suspended in this film. Like it is. Oh. I was checking the clock on it like routinely. And there was a one point one point I was like, all right, I've stuck this out. Like, this thing, this has been on for a long damn time. And yeah. I checked the timer, and there was 40 minutes left. <laughs> yeah. well, the part Adam that Jack's leaving out is uh, he actually, he paused it to go to the bathroom, and then when he opened the bathroom door, there was just, like, 27 dead bodies of himself laying in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't. He's been watching Sphere his whole that life. That was it, and one dead Queen Latifah. Because <laughs> she was fucked up by jellyfish. <laughs> uh, somehow. I think... Not to- I think Adam, you hit the nail on the head in our chat. This reeks of studio interference. I because think it's got to be a Jurassic Park uh, casualty. <laughs> well, yeah, because it, like you said, every I mean, and I'm going to compare it to a film that you hate. I'm sorry, but you take like Arrival, for instance. That's a very 
like slow moving methodical we need to investigate this situation here the music is going crazy and trying to make everything more excited than it seems like and also there there's like this bizarre uh choice to include chapter titles which i can only assume come from the novel uh as breaks in the film but i, I like they really don't add anything like like we, the surface the deep the sphere and like uh, yeah great let us just get there naturally you know most movies don't need to do this you don't need to do this sphere yeah a sphere does yeah. a lot of things it doesn't need to do but it, it also just it doesn't do a lot of things it does like what the fuck's going on with the why are we only in <laughs> this is a movie about exploring this fucking future man or alien spacecraft and this object and what it may or may not do what's going on with this sphere there's one fucking scene in the movie with the sphere. They just they just stay in their substation the whole rest of the time, like buttering around. Yeah. They also jump to a lot of amazing conclusions. Yeah, because they I mean, they fuck around in the spaceship for like five minutes and it's huge. It's gigantic. Like, and they show it and they, they basically we get the background on the entire movie, all the exposition, because uh, Sharon Stone goes upstairs to the, the cockpit and hits a button on a computer screen and it just plays like a, a little video for her that explains what's going on and the best part that comes out of that is it's labeled like 43 or something like that and her conclusion that she comes to is well it's not 1943 so it must be from 2043 it's like bitch why isn't it 30 or 40 43 why the fuck are you thinking it's 2043 <laughs> and 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 then and then she's like okay well this is what happened and then there's a sphere and then we're just gonna go back to our little uh, undersea hovel, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of the movie. It is yeah. profoundly dumb, dumb bullshit. Yeah, it is Wimmer. incredible that they, they run through that. Like, because yeah, the premise of this is essentially that they they believe it's a uh, spaceship, but you know, it's completely beyond any human technology at the time, buried under the sea. And then they go in there and they start realizing like it's bilingual signage for English and Spanish, and they're like, this is this is American. This is an American spaceship. And or, you know, uh, any of eventually, the other countries that speak English, you know. Well, yeah, you know, but but they're kind of like you know, and it's like this fascinating for like for a brief moment of time. It's like oh, there's there's something here, and then pretty much they just work out. It's like so, yeah, it's it's an American spaceship. It's from the future. It hit a, a wormhole. It got sent back in time, and it crashed. And uh, they, why don't we know about it? You know, it's like. That that's I guess they have the memory issue problem that you know people in the future would know about this so they would fix it but they didn't they address that later on by forgetting everything themselves which is an incredible conclusion to the film but like yeah this this very interesting concept of you know future human technology in the past is just a basically used in the explainer so they can get back to the real meat of the topic which is what is Samuel L Jackson dreaming right now that's like it's just bewildering like i say that this film is clearly designed and like it can only function as like a small scale intimate chamber drama with these different characters intermingling and and kind of jostling and poking at each other and just like basically being incompatible um and the script just doesn't grasp that at all it's just it's like jake says full of quips it's full of these broad things and every single like major story beat is is summed up super quickly in like an incredible leap of logic. It's just the whole movie just is 
there like I I would be struggle to think of another movie that absolutely so successfully repels human attention. Like I found it difficult to look at this thing for more than like ten seconds at a time. I was so just utterly unengaged. Like there's no reason to get into this movie at all. Uh, beyond even just like silly genre trash. It is it doesn't work on any level whatsoever and kind of almost remarkably successful at repelling even the most basic successful building blocks of movie making. It's mm. quite a feat, really. Uh, unfortunately, the feat that it has excelled in is being one of the worst kind of movies imaginable. Yeah, it's yeah. just, I'd be hard pressed to think of like a worse script especially like i couldn't tell you the quality of sphere i have read it but i was like you know michael crichton phase when i was like 10 through 12 years old so it's not like i have some but it was at the time i thought it was one of the more interesting crichton books so um there's something there i'm sure and uh what what is it's all gone from this though i, I just can't even fathom like again the calamari thing we could we could just well that's a good summation of what this thing is because it's like how as a screenwriter do we establish that samuel l jackson is afraid of squid and their idea is to have him uh choke on a piece of calamari for some fucking reason and uh <laughs> no he, he explicitly says he's not choking he just doesn't like it and it makes him go <laughs> it's just insane and then the whole back half they're, they're all like shouting at each other like samuel L. jackson's like don't you don't you remember what was inside the sphere you know it was inside the sphere right what was inside the sphere i i <laughs> i don't know it's just like one of those things oh. where we're gonna keep talking about it like remember that sphere but yeah, that's interesting uh can we also just just mention because i think it's really funny when samuel l jackson's the only person we see go into the sphere uh and it's i know late 90s cg rough world a lot of interesting kind of like you know problem solving because cg was suddenly like you have to do it in cg it you know it opens up incredible new possibilities but it also can't do a lot of other things so it's actually like you've got a whole new window of opportunities that are also quite limited and samuel L. jackson wanders into the sphere and they do this amazing special effect where it's just like him overlaid on the golden surface of the sphere and it just starts moving upwards and it's like the most ghoulishly strange uh allude. like it's a special effect obviously it needed a computer to do it but it is maybe the least interesting way of communicating that information imaginable. It just looks like a shitty PowerPoint slide transition uh, manifest in the middle of a motion picture. Yeah, I believe that their conclusion is that nothing is inside the sphere, which is uh, very compelling. That's exactly where you want to go with this thing. You know, uh, that's exactly what's inside this movie as well. Fucking nothing at all. Yeah. But it's great too because there's nothing yeah. in the in in the sphere. There's nothing in their fucking heads, and there's nothing in the movie. So it's wonderful. Go ahead, Jake. Sorry. I I have just two little notes I had here. Um, when they first discovered the sphere, they're all looking at it, talking about it. They surmise, oh, it's this is looks like it's a perfect spherical shape to like one that one thousandth of an inch. And as they're looking at it, Dustin Hoffman notices and says, uh, "Hey guys, you know another thing? We're not. It's not reflecting us. I can't be the only scientist who notices, guys. You know what I mean?" And then at 
at the end of the movie, um, when they're in the decompression chamber and they're going to be debriefed, uh, there's a great line Sharon Stone says, which could also kind of be summed up about the production of the film itself, where she goes, uh, we destroyed $100 million worth of equipment and some people died. So they're going to want some answers. <laughs> and, and then the, the answer, like they just, well, you know what? We have the power. Let's just forget. And I'm like, really? That's that's how you're getting out of this? And then the sphere launches itself into space and then the end. Yeah. That's it. It's a movie that somehow makes Congo look like a masterwork. (laughs) 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 That's a a good way to sum it up, I think. Yeah. You know, I never thought to do beforehand. I, I should... Do a search. Like, what did Michael Crichton see this? Did he pass comment on it? Because I, this could have made him real fucking mad. I don't. Might have killed him. (laughs) (laughs) He finally got around to renting it. It's like, ah, fuck. (laughs) Jesus. Uh, yeah. I, I have no idea what Crichton thinks. If he's a smart enough guy, he knows the kind of literature that he writes. He knows what people do to it when he they get a hold of it. He probably doesn't fucking watch them anymore I would yeah you think jurassic park might have messed that up for him it's like oh people are really going for this one maybe i should tune in and yeah next thing sphere well yeah he he yeah. had a good run i guess early because andromeda strains a good film and then sure. uh, yeah 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 he he had jurassic park but then it really fell off a cliff because he's right after jurassic park they're just like trying to use him to recreate that sort of a thing and it's just like uh fucking congo this lost world uh oh rising sun that's a great uh, one yeah, uh 13th warrior, 13th warrior. let's fucking what, go what timeline <laughs> i believe as well yeah. yeah uh there was oh and i think there was a an andromeda strain remake like i don't know 15 years ago or something so fun, fun stuff great stuff well we should probably wrap things up so jake what are you putting over this week hopefully something better than what we watch Oh, you better believe it, Steve. I am putting over the latest film from our favorite filmmaker, one Neil Breen, and mm. I watched Cade, The Tortured Crossing in cinema this past Friday. And uh, oh boy, oh boy, it is amazing to watch a filmmaker evolve and go beyond what you thought they were previously capable of doing. Uh, because Breen has turned in another mind melter, and it's his, actually it's his first sequel and now all of his work, believe it or not. This is a follow-up to the last film he did, which is Twisted Pair, concerning uh, twin Neil Breen characters. One of them had a horrendous tape-on beard. Uh, they both had superpowers. Uh, and this new one, the one without the beard, is leading an army of uh, youths who have been otherwise kidnapped and are troubled, and he's building like a super psychic league of of warriors of justice i guess and you know the plot doesn't matter what matters is that it's amazing and you should all seek it out because uh not only is there a musical number in it but uh there's a scene where neil breen spars with a tiger and it's incredible you think that was inspired by horror or do we think neil breen has seen that I mean, hey, you know, it's got it's got some RR in there. It's got this is basically the ending of like the last Avengers movie where they all fight. There's a big battle royale in this one. It's amazing. Uh, and and yeah, I had a great time. And actually, uh, you know what? You scratched the RRR comment because I believe from your interviewing Neil Breen, didn't he clarify that he has no influences? He <laughs> doesn't that's watch right. anything. He has, <laughs> he has no influences. He doesn't pick sides. He's just here for humanity with a capital H, man. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, there's no way. Like Neil Breen does not watch movies. He's heard about some, but he doesn't <laughs> watch them. Uh, Myros, what are you putting over this week? 
Uh, I have not seen much. I, I watched a couple of, of more recent films. Uh, I'll pick the lesser of two uh, evils here because I, I watched Nope and I watched, uh, actually, I watched the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie when my power was out. Uh, guess which I preferred? Uh, the answer is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Uh, I thought Nope was kind of meandering nothing. And uh, this film... It's not anything special, but it looks pretty great. It's it's a really fun animation style, and it's kind of carried by uh, Jackie Chan's uh, vocal performance. Uh, a lot of fun, and uh, hmm. beyond that, it, it's a kids' movie. It's it's not going to bowl you over, but uh, the animation style is really interesting. Uh, I will grant it that, and again, good fun, Jackie Chan. So. That's enough. This, this is great because this is all optimism vaccine canon because you put over that the the new Spider Verse movie or whatever a, a few mm-hmm, weeks ago, mm-hmm. and then I I tried to be a dick and I was like, what are you what are you fucking gonna do Ninja Turtles next, you little fucking loser? And then you did, but it actually looks I had a power cool. outage, man. I, I I went to the theater and stayed for a while, and there wasn't that much I really wanted to do. <laughs> uh, all right, Jack, what are you putting over this week? I'm going to go with the feel bad option because uh, to mark the, the man's recent passing, uh, I recently uh, just got the opportunity to finally see Sorcerer on a big screen. First, my first time ever seeing it because I keep putting off watching Sorcerer because it's one of those movies that sounds like it's like so absolutely my shit that I just keep like, no, I watched that at a special occasion. And it turns out there are no special occasions. You should just watch movies. So I finally got to watch it. I guess it was a special occasion because the man died. So, mm. um, oops. But yeah, Sorcerer, it's a, you know, remake, obviously, of, well, it's it's a new ad- adaptation of the novel, but it's also kind of a remake of The Wages of Fear, the Henry George Clouseau film, and it's spectacular, and it's much, it's as thrilling as people say it is, like, it's absolutely white-knuckle cinema, you know, hold your breath, kind of tense, but... Man, it's, it's also just uh, a lot more politically charged and nasty than most people uh, bring up when I hear about it. It's it's a real kind of uh, eye-opening vision of man's hellish experience on Earth <laughs> and various political dynamics that are charted. Uh, every piece of violence in it is genuinely shocking, uh, it, which is not easy to do. Uh, certainly not now, I think. And I think Freakin was able to do it right up till the end. He, he had that special juice. Um, yeah, it's... it's a, goddamn spectacular so if you yeah. if you like me have been putting off watching sorcerer put it on you'll feel kind of shitty afterwards about a lot of things but you will also be entertained and thrilled and horrified yeah oh it's great um, yeah but, well and it's funny too because there's all these like horrific scenes that just kind of stick with you like i think about the guy like uh offing himself in the fucking car and then like the blood splatters on the back of the windshield and then uh, that is an image I will never get out of my head. Or the uh, bombing in Jerusalem is like almost like oh, yeah. it's almost like a news footage of just like capturing that just instant moment of absolute t- mm-hmm. chaos and terror in a way that like so many other directors could never do that. And Freakin does it in like literally one and a half seconds of just like quick footage in handheld, and it's just yeah. there, and it's just like imprints on your memory. And yeah, I'm never gonna forget that mm-hmm. incredible oh, movie. <clears throat> well, speaking of movies that are incredible, uh, this one's probably as good as Sorcerer. It's called Beyond the Seventh Door. It's a little uh, cheapy Canadian film from 1987. 
it's kind of Cube before Cube. And we mentioned that Cube is kind of a low budget funded by the government movie. Probably cost about a quarter of a million dollars Canadian. This probably cost about a quarter Canadian, like not even a full uh, loony or toonies worth of Canadian money. Uh, it looks like it costs absolutely nothing. Just a guy with a fucking camera, a couple buds, and a warehouse. It's the same type of thing, though. It's set up as like, um, I don't know, like a, a series of tr rooms with traps in them and kind of a maze. Uh, it's, it's good shit. It also stars a guy named Laser Rockwood, which is a wonderful name for a, like a Cro-Magnon little freak who looks that, like... That is a porn star name and nothing else. He should not be allowed to be in a non-porn movie. No, but he's like the Canadian Tommy Wiseau in terms of his physical appearance. So he definitely <laughs> should not be naked ever. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's good fun. It's it's a great movie that makes the best of its completely non-existent budget. Uh, I think maybe Severin uh, or Intervision, which is like the Severin kind of like spinoff label, put out a DVD a few years back. It's it's good shit. Hunt it down, especially if you like cube or if if you watch cube and you said i wish this was different <laughs> i wish this had more laser rockwood then yeah this is this is how you get it beyond the seventh door check that one out other than that if you enjoyed today's podcast there's a link to our patreon in the description and what is that why would you click that why would you click such a thing what a silly thing to click a link to a patreon well we need money why do we need money because money helps pay for the podcast because podcasts aren't cheap occasionally we need equipment every month we got to pay for fucking hosting it ain't easy being a podcaster uh it's it's probably it's it's a lot like the movie sorcerer every single day i would say in most ways and <laughs> uh yeah but you know if you give us money it's not like you're not going to get anything for it because if you know as soon as you give us cash doesn't matter how little or how much i'm going to send you a movie from my personal collection straight to your door if you live in the continental United States. So that's very exciting. You have no idea what you're going to get. And you also get access to the entire Optimism Vaccine Patreon feed, which includes a bunch of exclusive episodes from uh, days past and also written content that you can only get on Patreon, which is super cool. And the occasional patron-exclusive episode. Now, if you decide to go above the bare minimum and you say, I want to give more, I want to be one of these $5 guys that I've heard so much about. If you want to be a five and above guy, well, you get even more. One of the things you get is you get access to patron polls, which actually dictate episodes, including next week's episode. Episode 250 is a patron dictated episode for our five and above homies. And on top of that, you get your name read out on the air. So who are our five and above friends right now, Adam Myers? Uh, we have David, CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. Wonderful. All saints. Every single one of them. Now, if you want to donate even more, you can give us $25, and that will give you the privilege of choosing an entire episode, anything you want. And they've been pretty great so far. We've had a few of them, and you could be the next. Finally, Adam Myros can watch hentai. He's been chomping at the bit for it. I keep saying no. He's like, please give it to me. Your $25 donation, in addition to keeping us afloat, could help feed Adam Myros's hentai addiction. And that's what we need. If, if he doesn't get his hentai, what's he going to do? Is he going to buy a gun? We're not sure. It's unclear what he would do. So please help him get his hentai fix. Uh, other than that, you could email us with questions, comments, death threats, or marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. You can tweet at us on X or Blue Sky or wherever at Optimism Vaccine. 
And uh, yeah, I, I think that's pretty much it. So, Jake, the final word is yours. Bring back Ted. Ted was humorous. 